I'm Carmen Harlan. After an incredible nine years, Seinfeld left the airwaves at the top of its game. It was a long look back last night, two hours of a lot of laughs. No word yet on how the stars will spend their time now, but the characters will spend the next year in jail. The Red Wings lead their playoff series three games to one. They beat the St. Louis Blues five to two. The two teams meet again on Sunday. If the Wings win, they can clinch the series. Stay with the news beat where local news comes first. Yes. <laughs> to just jump into business like this i'm always so business like i want to get right to it but how are you dude how are you uh i, I i'm cool man about to celebrate this juneteenth oh yeah because like i'm black y'all and i'm black y'all and i'm blackity black and i'm black y'all and I i'm did, black i saw that uh blackening movie yesterday with uh kendra amazing it was funny it was great uh and in, in uh is it wayne's worthy no it's not I wanted it to be goofier, and it's more of just like a, a real horror movie written for black people, and you know, it's good, and it has goofy stuff in it. There, uh, there's one character that kills it. I'm not going to go too far into it, but 90s related movie, Steve went and saw that, bat, or a, I call it Batman, I saw that Flash joint uh, this week with my buddy Aaron and Kendra, Flash new dc joint but 90s related michael keaton's in it which is why i wanted to see it in general so now without spoiling anything you know you could go see it in the theater if you're a michael keaton fan though you'll enjoy a good portion of this movie steve fucks with mr mom dude badass he kills it and uh <clears throat> it was cool to see that universe again like they it's fully 90s batman dude the costume they have him looking good you get to see him doing some shit that they just couldn't pull off in the 90s uh yeah. and like all movies now that are doing 90s nostalgia stuff they have to say like the lines that you remember like let's get nuts you get one of those so is it cheesy but yes uh but the flash the Michael Keaton part of it, 9 out of 10. The very small Ben Affleck portion of it, 10 out of 10. Everything else, 6 out of 10. So you can average it out as you want. It's a it's a fine movie to go watch. If you take some edibles and you go watch it, you will enjoy it, like I did. Uh, and if you like Michael Keaton, you're going to like it too. So that's my 90s related movie review for happening in the 90s, Steve. Man, I, I stand for Michael Keaton. Not, what's your take on Ben Affleck overall? I think Ben Affleck has gotten a bad uh, draw in this world. I think for whatever reason, people love to hate on Ben Affleck, like uh, like a Nickelback, where it's like they're the joke. They're constantly the joke. I don't believe in it. I've liked movies that Ben Affleck has made that people widely hate, like Daredevil. I like that movie. 
I liked him in All Rats. I liked him in fucking good. You know, I like him in all the shit that you should like. And yeah, he's made some bad movies, but I think for whatever reason, Ben Affleck's become sort of like a joke. And it, I don't understand that. The dude's a good filmmaker. He's a good actor, and he's funny as fuck. He seems like a fucking fun guy. You know? Could it be? that he's associated with Matt Damon and, and, and like because of the society we live in people love to choose sides and the automatic favorite is always Matt Damon Matt Damon you might be right about that and I never even actually thought about that I always just thought like the worm turned when he made that Geely movie like it was almost just like he was winning too much and people saw him they saw Jennifer Lopez they were like I, we can't this guy is too successful it was almost like just some hatred of out of that realm and then everyone the just player. was like fuck him yeah. for no reason he gets the fill on j-lo's ass he's friends with matt damon fuck this guy yeah he's fucking you know he gets to say how about them apples or whatever the fuck but i think you know i my take is that i think he's a good guy i think he's a good actor ben affleck if you're listening maybe you should be listening or are listening um I think you're fucking solid, dude. Keep it up. And this in Flash, dude, they made his Batman look, they paid off that. They made him look fucking cool. The action sequence he was in was, I thought the best one. And uh, they definitely gave his, if he never plays that character again, great way to end because he just goes off on a fucking banger, Steve. I'm telling you. I'm sure Kevin no. Smith was just crying watching it. He's always crying when he's watching movies. He's always in happy tears. It's great. I, I love it. He, Kevin is becoming more personable. Not as stoic as his uh, Silent Bob days. That's his brand now. It's just full. I mean, that's been it for a while. He's been giving those, like, it's not whatever it is. It's just like Q&As. But we used to watch those in college. And uh, I think that's what it is. People just love, like gives you an inside perspective of like directing and he just like seems like a teddy bear of a dude that you're just like has great stories i mean as a weed smoker he loves the weed so i love that too All even as giving people high praise steve I don't know, what's going on we're just in a great what we do on this show you know we we get a bad mark for being just like negative nancy's and uh, just the critics and just harsh and stern and just bullies cyber bullies no we're not we're not that kevin smith i'm gonna cry with you dude let's go watch flash i'll, I'll shed a tear when i see ben, uh fucking michael keaton i almost do i just had a fucking little synapse i don't even know steve i'm losing it get us back on track get us back on track so let, let, let's go rewind uh we, we're at close to the halfway point of season three and uh june 22nd and you know let's take ourselves back to 1990 june 22nd we were both six years old you're about to be seven and just a month and some change later i'd be i'd be there with you Mm -hmm. you know so at this point we've seen turtles we've seen big tracy the pistons just went back to back ultimate warrior just won the championship in toronto what else? What else happened around this time? 1990. Can, can you go back that far, Matt? The mental Rolodex? The mental Rolodex ain't there, Steve. But what you've just Rolodexed out for us, 
I feel like uh, going into seven, just a great time in Matt G's life. And I think that's why we're paying homage to this deck this decade, is because going in, look at it, look at us. We're almost seven. We're getting all this fucking Ninja Turtles the movie, Steve. You want my head to explode at six years old? It almost did, but I'm seven years old. I'm seeing all this. And I'm walking into a decade really just with a heart open and just with an imagination. I'm ready to go. And they're delivering on all fronts already. So We had our super soakers ready. It's it was summer. It's summer at this point. I, I, I do believe the, the Will Smith song. No, it, I don't think it's out yet. Maybe that's the following summer. Yeah, you might be right about that. But maybe I had, I definitely had on some like, I was definitely rocking some kind of like, you know, when you did like soccer leaves and stuff, you got all that like green, like the soccer shirt. I had some umbros. I had some like lame ass, lame ass shoes, whatever I had at seven. Had big ass feet at that age for a kid. So I had some clod hoppers. I was running around those streets. Also, I have to say, going back to that time, I mean, I'm, it has to have been around then. Like, I was just biking around my neighborhood, going far away from my home, without a phone, without any communication, just, like, out there in these streets wild, going to my buddy's house. And I don't feel like if that happened now, you're you're getting taken away from the family if somebody finds out, Steve. On, on your Huffy? They're taking they're taking you and the Huffy. Yeah. Oh, mine, Goose. Mine was a Huffy, Steve. I was rocking that Huff. I was huffing oh. around, dude. Just fine. And I remember I had this cool trick I used to be able to do, which was just that little. I had the one where you could spin it. Remember, like it, there was no, like you could spin that shit around. So I figured that out as a kid mm. a little bit. I'd brake hard, pull up, bing, and then drop down again. I mean, this wasn't that cool, but. It was pretty cool hey. in my book, dude. I was rocking it. Hey. People in the neighborhood. As a kid, they, that's how hey, you start. They were noticing, Steve. They were noticing. <laughs> they jocking me. They feeling the kid. Slow motion. Just two miles an hour, Steve. Everybody. So they're going to see Everybody it. sees you. But uh, today, man, uh, we, we have a musical guest, man. A very special musical guest. And they're going to do a number, Matt. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I, I got a phone call because I wasn't told this was happening. You caught me off guard. Who is this? I'm, I'm sorry, man. It's just really excited about it all, man. You know, yeah. June 18th uh, or Juneteenth is around the corner, man. I, I just, yeah, man. So without further ado, my my good friend, my close personal friend, Cat uh, Cornell, is going to perform uh, one of his smash hits. And without further ado, yeah. Meow, 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 meow. Don't, don't, don't. Meow, meow, meow. Meow, meow, meow. Meow, meow, meow. Meow, 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 Wow, Cat Cornell. Whoa, yeah. Steve, where'd he go? Where is he? He only does the first minute or so. Okay. He's a busy, he's a busy cat. Um, wow. Thank you. Cat, shout out, Cat Cornell. I mean, this kid, 
I question, like, is there an experiment going on? That are the actual cats singing, or what's going on here, Steve? Are you part of well, some kind of weird chemical experiments? Well, I, I met Cat Cornell when I went to the convention for seahorses who identify themselves as Frank Thomas, and uh, yeah, Cat Cornell. Yeah, it's just like seahorses. Sometimes they feel like a major league slugger. Uh, Cat Cornell. Uh, sometimes cats, the, the feline community, there there's a set uh, who identify themselves as uh, grunge rock singers, and uh, wow. lo and behold, Cat Cornell. Yeah. I'd love to hear a black hole sun. You know, you know. Let's get it. Let's get the hits going. Let's see if we can get this guy on a contract for maybe a reappearance, Steve. You're apparently negotiating this without me, so. I'm sorry, Matt. Um, <laughs> next time, uh, you'll you'll definitely get noticed, man. Because he he told me when he comes back, he might come uh, with his buddy Cat uh, Cobain. Oh, watch out! Watch out, though. I they put on a thing. great show. <laughs> they will knock your dick in the dirt. Man, they do this yarn show. Man, you gotta be there to believe it, man. It's Cobain's on that catnip. You never know if he's gonna show up. It's, it's not very consistent, but we're gonna try to help him out. It's close to the ledge a couple times. <laughs> Are you sexy and successful now, but were teased while growing up because you were poor? If you dressed in old clothes, didn't have any money, and were harassed for it, but now you're sexy and successful, call 312-836-9454. But, uh, hey, boys and girls, this is Steve G and Mad G with Happened in the 90s, the show where we talk about what happened in the 90s. So get out your Dikembe Matumbos and your Donkey Kong Country, because tomorrow will come, and girl, I can't wait, it's our anniversary. <laughs> the first thing I'll do is run straight to you. It's our anniversary. It's our anniversary. Tony, Tony, Tony. Dude. Raphael Sadiq is a national treasure and he will be cherished as such. I mean, anniversary, I love the song because, I mean, the hook is, the song's called anniversary and the hook is, it's our anniversary. I mean, it's wordplay-wise, I don't know if they're going, like, it's not the most creative, but damn, it's catchy. I was listening to it today just because I, you know, I use YouTube as the, my music source. So, like, once it gets into that algorithm, Steve, I'm working out, anniversary pops in randomly. And I mean, I'm feeling it, honestly. I'm getting swole listening to Anniversary, Steve. You can't go wrong with some Tony, Tony, Tony. It'll yeah. get you there, Steve. I'll be honest. It got me It got me that last rep. Anniversary, bitch. Getting your, yeah, man. Let's get, <laughs> let's get sexy time. <laughs> well, today, my friend, we're talking about all things June 22nd in the 90s. Starting off in 1990, Betsy's wedding premieres. The very different Betsy and Jake are getting married. They want a small wedding, but their dads want to give them a huge one. Directed by Alan Alva, starring Alan Alva, Joey Bishop, Madeline Kahn, Catherine O'Hara, Joe Pesci, Ali Sheedy, Burt Young, and Molly Ringwalds. Man, I wish I could do an Alan Alda impression. I can't. This sounds like a movie I don't want to watch, but I do love Alan Alda, so I'm, I support it. Just isn't for me, you know? And I, I try to give a, a fair 
review of everything that we cover on this show. But for the first time since starting this show, Matt, I, I finally heard my inner voice and it said, Steve, don't you do that shit. Don't you watch that fucking movie. Fuck Betsy. Fuck her wedding. Fuck yeah. Betsy's wedding. You deserve to do better things. It's summertime. Y you and I, I finally heard it. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, it was speaking to me when I was about to watch Fletch or Fluke. It, it spoke to me when I was about to watch Street Fighter. It, it spoke to me when I was about to watch Frankenhooker. But, but I finally heard it this time. Thank I feel you, like this is the one you wanted to. All those other ones, I applaud that you watch them. But this one, I also applaud the growth, Steve. I feel like that's mental growth because I have, I'm with you. Uh, should we technically do a little research on this? Yeah, but I think enough is no. just like the IMDb. Read it. Clearly, this is a father of the bride situation. A lot of people I like in it. A lot of hitters. I'm not going to watch it because I don't want to. Because I want to be outside or I want to be doing something fun and not something like that's even worse than reading a textbook. You know? Shout out to Alan Alda, though. Loved you and fucking MASH, bud. Love you, Hawkeye. Yeah. And shout out to Catherine O'Hare and Joe Pesci. Yeah, man. Don't, yeah. don't get us whack. Uh, but also in 1990, Robocop 2 premieres. Robocop returns to protect the citizens of old Detroit, but faces a deadly challenge when a rogue OCP member secretly creates a new evil Robocop 2. Directed by Irvin Kirshner, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Daniel O'Hirlahi, Tom Noonan, Belinda Bauer, and Gabriel Damon. Yeah. This was the subpar uh, second act of Robocop. I remember this not being fun there's one where a kid's like the villain i think that's three this no that's this one he's oh, a little it? snot okay yeah and okay well that's even worse then because i hate that kid but this one basically too. the gist of the movie is that robocop's become really expensive to to fix you know he's got all these parts it's half human half robot and detroit as always, low on money. <laughs> uh, they're like, you know what? We're going to put Robocop into the fucking warehouse because this shit's too expensive. So instead, this is where it makes no sense. They decide to make a new, better Robocop that's crazy. And on top of it, they're going to use, it's not a serial killer, but it's like a very bad criminal mind uh, that they capture. They, they capture this dude. He's a scumbag. He looks like the villain from Last Action Hero and they put his brain in this like mech warrior fucking robocop 2 thing they even call it robocop 2 which is hilarious and lo and behold putting a psycho brain in a robocop not great goes tits up they have to call back robocop get murphy on the case and you know detroit's find us takes care of it steve because that's what he does because that's murphy Shout out the Motown, man. And uh, this was another pioneer of the, the CGI. It, it, for anything else, uh, it, it did do that. Um, I, I remember the kid, the snotty little kid. I, I wanted him to get murked early in the movie because he was just pissing me off. And usually I'm supposed to like empathize with their plight, with the look at it from the kid's perspective, because I was a kid at this time. But like this kid, it's like, oh my goodness, would somebody just pile drive this kid um, into the cement? I just but love I, uh, that he's like 12 and people actually respect him in the criminal world. 
It's like somebody fucking just shoot this kid in the fucking face. You know, like they're blowing a cop to shreds to the point that they have to put him in a robot body. But the 12-year-old drug dealer, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, dude. Give him a hot shot, throw his little dead body out, and go, uh, you know, do your thing. And I remember this uh, also being a tie-in to WCW because I, re- I think it's around this time when they had RoboCop show up at one of their pay-per-views <laughs> and they promoted it all around RoboCop, but he only showed up once because of the, the movement. It's just, it's a lot <laughs> I mean... of And the, when he, he did make it to the ring, he made his appearance. He only showed up to like get Sting out of a cage that I can't, I think the four horsemen might've put him in the cage and he just showed up to just like break it open and then just walk back. I have to go. Yeah. And he I barely broke back. down. I, like, I don't know. Robocop to me was never like my favorite thing, but there is something just about what, like the visual of it. Like still it looks amazing. Like that looks fucking cool yeah. behind you. But when you see a movie, it's like, I don't know. Cause it's always like, and then like a machine yeah. gun will pop into his hand, which is dope. But if you're looking at it in real life, it probably looks like shit, you know? So you're like, how on set, the people making the movie are like, man, I hope that like somebody fucking pulls this thing together. Cause this looks like shit. We didn't think this through. Uh, <laughs> but somebody who probably didn't watch RoboCop 2 1990 was Bobby not Bobby Cox, the general manager of uh, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I got him mixed up with Russ Nixon um, because the MLB Atlanta Braves replaced manager Russ Nixon with the general manager Bobby Cox, and Atlanta Braves would never be the same again. They yeah, would this go is a, from this was a great decision on their part. This is a fucking Bobby Cox. I mean, just listen to the name. You know he's coming in yeah. with some big dick energy. Bobby Cox. Yeah, Bobby Cox, man, the name speaks for itself. And I, I think he's got his eyes on several pennants throughout the decade. Yeah. Yep. I see you. I'll I'll be coming to get damn. I'll be there. Just give me I got this guy named John Smalls. Just wait. Got this guy named Lavin. Little Fred McGriff. I don't know. Just throw him out there. David Crime Justice. Dog. Crime dogs coming. Yeah. You, you want to know who's going to be coming out the NL? Just us. <laughs> hey, Pittsburgh. Hey, hey, Pirates. You're going to want to suck my dick. You're going to want to kiss my ass, too. I'm going to beat you. Uh, Cleveland Indians? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, but in 1991, the final episode of American Dreamer airs on NBC. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, in the background, you might see some familiar faces. We got Carol Kane. We got the guy from Roseanne and, and uh, cut off because he's so damn tall is uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who we'll be talking about here a little later. And uh, I don't care what role that man plays. You give me creeper vibes. And uh, lo and behold, truth comes to light. And, uh, you know, maybe it's method acting. Maybe that's just who you are, man. Um, American Dreamer, I've never seen an episode, never heard about it, uh, and probably wouldn't have if I wasn't doing this show with you, man. Um, yeah, I well, I didn't watch it, but I do like to see Carol, Carol Kane, the, the crazy voice chick. You know, I don't give a fuck about the dude from Roseanne. I don't really like him because he was on that other show, Big Bang Theory. 
Uh, he was a bad. Is it dog. just because he it's was in that, that show? You it's hate it's that he got any shine off of Roseanne because he was a bad boyfriend in that. Steve, to be honest, he wasn't a great boyfriend, and even when they brought him back, he just seemed like a piece of shit. Okay, he didn't have a home, Matt. Well, the, the Connors you know, took him in. He didn't have fine. a stable. Well, he's fucking him up too. You know, give him a gift, and then they fuck the household up. Steve, I'm sorry, he's homeless. I forgot that part of it. Now I sound bad. Darlene, she liked the bad boys anyway. Darlene and Becky. They, you know. Well, Darlene moved on to some guy that owns some kind of fucking tabloid or some shit. So Darlene moved on to bigger and better. And congratulations, because this guy, I mean, he got a kid idea. And shame on him for that, but it is what it is. The guy, I now I went negative, Steven. I feel bad, because we started on such a positive note. But I never liked that character, and I don't like that guy. Okay. Well, you don't. Well, well, okay. Good cop, bad cop. Good podcaster, bad criticism podcaster. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Galecki, I like you. Okay. You're all right. I hate. I don't care for the Big Bang Theory because you know I, I have a limit on my nerddom. But you know I, I fucks with you. Okay. Uh, but also in 91, somebody who probably wasn't watching that was probably Eric Lindros uh, because in an NHL draft, the Oshawa General Center was the first pick by the Quebec Nordiques. Well, Eric Lindros ended up on the Flyers. I know that, dude. And that guy was huge as fuck. I always was, was amazed at somebody that awesome. big. <laughs> he even got his own fucking video game, too, because this dude could hit. Did he? Eric Lindros Full Contact Hockey, I believe it was what it was called. Well, telling me something new. No, I think so. I might be off on that. But Eric Lindros, stud. He ended up in Philly, which that kind of sucked for him, but... He could have played for Pittsburgh. That would have been better, but I always respected this guy, which is a lot because he was on a Philadelphia team. So, But, you know, he we've said this before. He was one of those names where, you know, we weren't checking for hockey, but he was up there with Gretzky and Hall. So that tells you something, you know? It's just like, all right, that guy, he must be crushing it. I know who the fuck he is. Plus, I think he could fight. He was one of those hockey players. I think he'd throw, he'd throw some hands too, Steve. He'd throw, he'd throw five to the face every once in a while if he had to. He played in Philly. What can you do? Uh, in 1992, Eric B. and Rakim released Don't Sweat the Technique. I mean, these two guys are like widely respected as like rappers, rappers too, correct? Yeah, man. They, uh, I feel like, are in the same vein of Guru, Gangstar. They, they applied that, that jazz vibe to hip hop. You know, they didn't really have like, the the gangster presence of the death row guys or nwa they, i definitely wouldn't call them poppy like hammer they were you know boom bat but also had the street presence yeah um eric b rakim the one of the songs on this album uh know the ledge that was one of the more popular songs on the juice soundtrack man and i remember them performing this on in living color um dude rakim I feel like he should get the same treatment in hip hop that the Rolling Stones get in rock, that Metallica gets in metal. Rakim was one of the guys that elevated the game. You know, Run DMC, they kind of kicked it off. LL Cool J elevated a little bit more. Rakim came in and he started stacking his rhymes and had internal rhymes within rhymes and the 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 flow. It was 
it was perfect for him to use these jazz backgrounds because his vocals just, it bounced off. It, it, it's like his vocals were like another instrument added to the track, man. Oh, and it's yeah. just like, uh, like fr from beginning to end, don't sweat the technique. Like, I believe every track on here was jazzy, man. And what not was enough the one that you just told me about uh, that had some jazz in it? Jazzmataz, what was that? Wasn't that Jazzmataz, that, that was Guru. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So did this come like off the back of that? Like were people just starting to like, oh, this jazz shit sounds dope as fuck. Like, let me try this. Or was it like, were they like sort of parallel thinking? They were like parallel because this came out in 92. Uh, Guru started his Jazzmatazz series in 93, I believe. Okay. So, uh, but know. even in it, hit, yeah, even when he was doing Gangstar, uh, because his, his DJ is DJ Premier and DJ Premier is like one of the premier uh, hip hop uh, producers and you know he always had like a jazz element um, yeah. which is one of the things I appreciate about Premiere man it's like a, a fusion of jazz and hip-hop still to this day and we'll talk about Premiere a little later wow to be continued um but in 1993 MC Light releases Ain't No Other and I only remember this for the track Roughneck Gotta who, gotta have a what, gotta watch out, gotta get a rough neck, gotta watch out, gotta get a rough neck, I need it in the who. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, at one point, I, I thought she was like one of the greatest female MCs, like actually my favorite female MC. Then I, I wrestled with the idea of Queen Latifah being the greatest. But once Missy came out, all yeah. bets are off. Um, still, I, I think MC Light, Top 10, easily. Top 10 FEMCs of all time, for sure, man. What do you think of Foxy Brown on that list? Is she on there? Foxy Brown, not for me. Uh, I would put Lil' Kim, her contemporary, on that list because I feel Lil' Kim was a pioneer of a whole nother branch of hip-hop because, yeah. like, you know, salt and Peppa brought the sexy into it, but Lil' Kim was full-out slutting it out on tracks. And I feel like she grandmothered uh, or godmothered the Meg the Stallions, the Cardi B's, and like oh, that's yeah. a whole nother, the the city girls and all of that. And, you know, for better or worse, you know, depending on how people feel about that branch of hip hop, hey, man, there's an audience for it. And Lil' Kim, to me, was one of the first to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and she did it well. On that one cover, though, fine as fuck with that black like tank top on or whatever. I remember that one. I forget what the Unana or whatever. El, El that's, Nana. What it, that's what it is. Yeah. So I remember that, but I'm with you. Lil Kim was the elevation. Sorry to sidetrack it. The only other thing I'll say about Foxy Brown, I always thought she was doing, it always sounded to me like she was doing a notorious B.I.G. impersonation when she rapped. She just had like a flow and like, even her voice almost sounded, she had like, she sounded like a fat girl. Who, Foxy? Yeah, <laughs> especially in that one song. I don't know. It's just like the way she raps, but all sexy. Missy is at my top though. She's out. She has to be because of all the bangers. I just listened to a fabulous song. She was on called Sickalicious from back in the day. I didn't even remember it, but I was like, this shit, because of her and that beat, or I don't know if it's all Timbaland or not, but. I think that's what she owes that to, though, Steve. Do you agree with that? Being hooked up with Timbaland, Missy. I, I I would be remiss if I if I said he didn't have a hand in like her success, but I think 
the personality, the image that she's created, I feel in, in an era where sex was king for, for female MCs, when you kind of had to like lean on that crutch, she never did that. She first came out with garbage pag, like, fuck, like, I'm fly. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get this shit I'm gonna, on my own merit. I'm going to be respected as a, a good artist. She Can't had on you. glad bags. Like that. And honestly, though, she like uh, did that, and then she like revolutionized like videos in a way too. Because I feel like a lot of her first videos, like, yeah. it was just like something you've never seen before. So I guess this is the Missy Elliott hour. You know, shout out to Missy Elliott. Love and you. More on her Sorry later. about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're bringing it full circle. It's like we we're predating our our yeah. show we're just in, in real time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but also in 1993, Raven Simone releases her debut, Here's to New Dreams. And man, this album did numbers. I remember uh, Sam Goody having lines wrapped around the building, going out to the street for Raven Simone. Um, I mean, dude. I mean, you can't argue with the success, Steve. Was it for us? No. That's so Raven, absolutely not. This, never heard a, a lick of it. But I'm sure she was yeah. getting paid, dude, because this was that time. If you even the Olsen twins, these people were like big child stars, they had to start making money in every possible way. They had to build the empire, Steve. And uh, by the way, Matt, I'm totally bullshitting you. Nobody was checking for that shit. It was not doing numbers. It's just <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say then what the fuck, Steve? I mean, like, I would long? assume because she's who she is, it did something right no no okay uh, well, well shame I, on me I, I i will say this one of the releases on this album was that's what little girls are made of um i i don't remember i don't the song. like I do. that song at all i don't like that that doesn't you, sound good steve it sounds horrible coming from a little like i don't know how old she was at the time not even 10 probably because 1993 we were 10 and she was younger than us but yeah. That's what Little Girls Are Made of was actually produced by Missy Misdemeanor Elliott. Okay. So she goes back that far. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm glad Missy Elliott was on it. Because if there was a guy there, I'd be like, that guy needs to be put in prison. Because he wrote a song called That's What Little Girls Are Made of. And that's possibly criminal. So I don't like that. Protect the babies. Uh, also in 1993, Collective Soul releases hints, allegations, and things left unsaid. And... Uh, this is the track with Shine. Yeah, down. And uh, on the back of this album, they actually give directions for how to listen to this album. And it's uh, play the first track, Shine, and then after that, eject the disc and use it as a weed tray. Uh, but also in 1993, <laughs> Tony Tony Tone releases Sons of Soul. And man, this shit jams from beginning to end. Cause girl, I can't wait. It's anniversary. Was this the one that uh, feels good? Was was feels good on this, or was that on a pre? No. That seems like pre. That's on their. I think yeah, I think that's on their debut album, um, which happened in maybe the late eighties. Or early, I can't, I'm not sure, but uh, this is the album that had Anniversary and Lay Your Head on My Pillow. It just relax, relax. That's the shit's fire, Steve. I don't know what's happened to me because 
my my mix if you open up youtube on my phone right now click my mix it will be key sweat it will be this it will be guy it will be silver chair 311 fabulous beanie siegel it's an eclectic mix but it is heavy on the 90s r&b and i gotta say it's you uh, there is no it's almost better it's there's no i don't know what to say about it it's my favorite now because it it gives you a positive vibe either you want to start fucking or you're just like in a good mood there's no like i used to listen to like aggressive hip-hop and just sort of be like jazzed up a little too much listen to i still do too but you listen to a little key sweat little uh make it last forever a little guy you know Mm -hmm. A little throw a little guy guys new to me steve i got i okay. found them by accident but the 90s r&b dude, tony 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 also they're in there so 90s r&b was just absolutely killing it i'm sure if you were fucking back then you were listening to all this and congratulations because that, that must have been fun look at you getting your leon phelps on I mean, I'm married like to a it. black woman, Steve. I can't be going in there with just, I mean, she even listens to whiter music than I do, but I just feel like I have to. I got to I gotta bring it back. I got to keep this music, like, somewhat popular because it's so good. Like, there's nothing like this now. There's nothing like oh, no. this. We yeah. sound like two old, like, black, I, this is what's hilarious about this. Like, if you go on, like, guys' videos for, you know, their songs, Let's Chill, yeah. for example, it's you want you go down you see the, the the normal comments but then like about three down you can tell there's like some old black dudes that are on youtube like man music just ain't the same no more just like a lot of that <laughs> like it's not sir it's not it's better so it's, it's better back then it's facts man this kind of music makes you want to get them uh stacy adams like melvin oh yeah. here's another thing steve Another crop, you know, this is something I thought of this weekend. I'm sorry, I'm sidetracking Sally. We'll get to everything else. Okay. Pulp Fiction, Ving Rhames, Marcellus Wallace, correct? It's set yeah. in LA, early 90s. Baby Boy in LA. There's a guy named Wallace in LA, played by Ving Rhames, fucking Baby Boy's mom, Tyrese. Is that this? Did Marcellus Wallace just tank as a gangster? And then just rename himself Wallace and get in them drawers, Steve. Did I think of a, like a mystery connection between Baby Boy and Pulp Fiction? Because I think that happened. Man, the, I'm telling you, bro, we got to do this spinoff podcast or like this has to be like a Patreon special where we do these because we've talked about a couple tie-in kind of scenarios before. And I love this. Yeah. Like we need to marinate on this. Think about it and smoke about it. Um, I I love it. I'm writing that down right now, but I'm just saying, think about it, audience. Marcellus Wallace, all that bad shit that happened to him in Pulp Fiction, a lot of bad shit happened to him. Maybe after that, after the getting raped, having to kill racists, he was like, maybe I need to just rethink this. And he just went into a normal life, got to be wherever he was. He still got the dice. He's still got the Stacey Adams. He's still got that thuggish advice, but now he's turned the leaf and now he's just into di- like deep dicking a mom in Watts. And I'm into Melvin, that. And we do know Melvin has a past, but he didn't go into too much detail. 
Yeah, um, dude. I mean, I think I like this. I like this. I want to marry her. Uh, but somebody who probably didn't listen to Tony, 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 Sons of Soul in 1993 is probably American educator and 37th First Lady of the United States, Pat Nixon, dies at the age of 81. Pat, well, well, Pat, Pat Nixon. That's Reagan. Oh, yeah, sorry. Pat Nixon. Oh, oh God. Pat, get over here and suck my balls. My face looks like a nutsack. <laughs> Pat Nixon okay. died at her Park Ridge, New Jersey home at 5.45 a.m. on June 22, 93, the day after her 53rd wedding anniversary. She was 81 years old. Her daughters and husband were by her side. Damn, Richard Nixon outlived her. Wow, that's crazy, dude. Evil just kept him alive for a while. I'll I just see have to you say, in a year. I fuck him. Fuck Richard Nixon. I just have to say that first and foremost. But Pat Nixon looks like a lovely lady. And I have to say, she also looks like my grandma. So I love her even more for that. So, you know, I don't know if she was evil, but it's not her fault she married a bad guy. She was trapped. Um, in 1994, June 22nd, Larry Sanders show is airing the season three premiere, Montana. After Larry quits show business and moves to Montana, a network lawsuit forces him to return to Hollywood. Ah. Lots happened, Steve, since we left Larry. Um, he, he apparently left Hollywood. He has left Hollywood because when this episode starts, we just see some shack, some shanty that looks like where I'm from. Apparently it's in Montana, but it, you know, apparently Larry just had to go to Montana you know, I don't. He understand. wants to be river trash in the middle of Montana, and he's just in there. He's watching old episodes. It's kind of sad because yeah, it's, it's also sad, sad because he... it's Robin Williams is on his show, and I love that Robin, the beard. He's looking grizzly, funny as all fuck. But Larry's just in his weird shanty, apparently without show, watching old episodes, just reminiscing, and it's not going well. At least he's not. It's not like a Howard Hughes situation yet, but it's getting close. You know, piss bottles, they might be out of shot. But that's what Arthur is there for, because he comes to visit, and before Larry opens the door, he, he hides the tape. And we find out that Larry has a closet full of his old tapes. He misses the game. He can't leave the game alone. It needs him. And that's what Arthur is there to tell him. Uh, Arthur actually sees the closet full of VHS tapes. But what I did catch also... Why does Arthur have a blue bandana around his neck? It seems so off-putting and like unlike his character. He's a, a gruff guy, and it this the, the that's bandana. His out, that's Hollywood just, or outdoorsman shit. You're, that's a Hollywood out, idea of what being an outdoorsman is in Montana. A nice kerchief, a nice ascot, Steve, to get the to get the sweat off my neck. I don't know, man. It's it's shot. What was the uncle on Bewitched? It, it's very that. Oh, my God. It's so. Oh, that's, my God. I, you know, yeah, just, it is that. Oh, it's very God. like Kumse Kumsa. But uh, he's coming in. He's checking on Larry. He's he's notifying him that he's actually being sued by the network because he hasn't. He's He vacated his seat. But Did one thing I also want to point out, and maybe you can correct me here. But he brings some vodka, and uh, Larry's like salty dogs. 
make some drinks and did they just make a drink that's just vodka and a bunch of salt steve because i think that's what that was because when they drink it when they hit it larry's like so i think they just poured salt into vodka and shot it and i'm concerned that's just larry's natural look (laughs) gary gary that's just my face i don't know what to tell you i gotta get my shell back I gotta yeah. get my show. <laughs> it was always and, the lips for me, Steve. It's like that's the Gary Shandling thing that always put me off was the lips. That and like as age and I'm sure alcohol, like it, the eyes became squintier and squintier too. It was a very weird yeah. look. Yeah. All right, P man. Uh, but they, they're watching TV and they, they see Hank. Now that he's not doing this show with Larry, he's hosting the the local lottery readings. And because his catchphrase, hey, now, that, like that was under copyright, he has to say, say now. <laughs> say now. One. <laughs> say now. Yeah. yeah. And he looks sad. You can tell he's just like dead inside on air. He's reading lotto numbers. Um, and <clears throat> Ar- Arthur basically tells Larry, you got to come back because you're going to be sued. And basically through this conversation, they come to the idea that what they're going to do to get Larry his show back is just lie and say that he had like a drug problem and anxiety problem that led to the drug problem because of the pressure of the show. So he just had to leave. And that's sort of like the Hollywood gold standard excuse to get out of of trouble. And it really is. I mean, Mel Gibson used this for a decade. You know, call somebody the end bomb, call your wife something crazy. Just go, go get a rehab, get the certificate, and then you're back in Hollywood's good graces, Steve. So, and Arthur's, it, a, he's, I mean, he's a Hollywood, he knows, he's in the know. So I, I would trust it, but it seems like Shandling, uh, Sanders, he's not into it. He's He has some reservations. But Arthur, he will not take no for an answer because this is his bread and butter, and he he's trying to stay in the show business, keep them bills paid. Yeah. He finally talks him into it, though. He agrees. And he's like, I just want to keep it low-key, though. I just low-key. And he t- Arthur's like, dude, you got to stay here, okay? I'm going to negotiate this. I'm going to tell you when to come to Hollywood so you don't seem to, you know too anxious like you don't seem like the new boyfriend they're just calling too much we're gonna leave you out here people are gonna believe this story and they're also gonna believe that you're hesitant to come back because you're not here like that's gonna add to it so larry says all the right things but then hank he's literally in hollywood before hank and hank's like or not hank before arthur's there and arthur's like did you fucking catch the same flight or an earlier flight or the flight right after me he's like no i was on your flight but I took coach because I knew you wouldn't fi- you wouldn't be able to find me, which I love that. But, Steve. I love making fun of us poor people. <laughs> and, and when he finally links up with Hank, they're they're in Hank's car, and I, uh, over time, I guess Hank picked up a cigarette habit, a smoking habit. Yeah. Uh, you know, ever since Larry left the show, and he's playing hardball with Larry. Uh, Larry offers him the spot back. Hey, man, I'm coming back. You want to be the co-host again? And he's like, Well, you know, I'm getting this all the respect from the lottery people. It's not about the money, you know. Maybe I'll think about it. But like, you know, <laughs> down, we all know, like, dude, this is a, your your 
only shot, man. I like how dramatic uh, Hank is, though, because he's like, yeah. you know what the lottery people gave me, Larry? Respect. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I do like that. And also, does this give you any uh, like flashbacks of hanging out with me and other people in college and you having to sit in a car full of uh, chain-smoking cigarette smokers, Steve? Because it's got to be miserable. 100,000. 100,000%. <laughs> Sorry for the lung cancer, but I apologize. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing myself any favors. Uh, but yeah, after Hank, he asked the other crew members and like, hey, guys, I'm back. Like, what do you think? And they're all on board. Uh, what I found funny was Phil's response. So what he'd been up to the last three weeks, three months, Phil, uh, off. see you Monday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like apparently he thinks it's going to be hard. Like I, it seems like they think it's going to be hard to get all these people back. But he's having these secret meetings and everybody's down. I do like also Janine Garofalo is now in this show. We actually, she showed up on the first time we talked, but now she's a regular. And she's like, I don't know, Larry, um, Conan O'Brien, they're offering me a lot more creative control. I'm going to have a lot more responsibilities. And Larry Sanders is like, yeah, Conan O'Brien, do you think that's going to last that long? Because maybe you just want to keep this sure thing. And I love that. I love the the shade to Conan O'Brien on this. And it's ironic that I believe this is the same year Janine Garofalo leaves this show to join SNL for a very, very short stint. Uh, and, it, and it's in that 94-95 season that is universally panned. It's got its gems, but like this is... That was Adam Sandler, Chris Farley's last year. And they just kind of, you could tell they just like, yeah, we're just going to wing it. We're stars. Uh, we got um, this. Yeah. But Janine Garofalo, it, it was like a boys club. And I'm sure like Larry Sanders show was probably tame after joining SNL, especially that cast. Yeah. Um, and then Hank, he comes into the office and he's just like, you know what? I'll do it just whatever happens, you'll never abandon me like that again. And Larry doesn't even say anything. He's just like, okay, that's good enough for me. I miss you, buddy. <laughs> uh, so now the whole band back together, Steve, like the show's ready to go. Everybody's on board. The whole team's there. And then this guy, Richard comes in who Richard's like the exact overall execs. He's a fucking scumbag. He's an English Richard. dude. He's actually a guy we've seen before. He's in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 as the scientist who helps them defeat Super Shredder. Um, the guy you talked about. Exactly. We've talked about him many times. But here, he's a cunt. And he's like, Richard's well, a dick. Well, hey, I just wanted to say I don't want the show back. And they're like, well, no, we're here. We're good. And he's like, no, I don't want the show. It's done. And he just throws a fucking just cold water on everybody's hard dick, Steve. It's fucking bullshit. It, uh, yeah, he had no plans of bringing it back. And Larry just confronts him like, hey, man, you said you were going to sue me. Like, whatever happened to the days of when somebody was going to be litigious, they'd follow through on it. You disappoint me. I'm back to Montana. Yeah, I'm going to Montana. And fucking Hank's like, or I fucking keep saying Hank. Arthur's like, chill the fuck out just fucking i'm gonna go up there i'm gonna handle this stay right here and arthur this is where we see that he is a genius because he goes up and he's he lays because at this point they haven't laid any rap about the drug addiction or anything on anybody so show's over arthur goes up and he's like look i don't want to have to tell you this 
But the reason he left is because he had all this anxiety. He was doing drugs, poppers, God knows what else by the end of it. And he just had to leave because of that, because of the pressure of the show. So I don't know if that's a great look for you to be firing some guy that was having all these issues. And the guy fucking art, whatever, Richard's like, well, you know, I guess we can do this. But he has like a couple of like reservations. Yeah, reservations. But he also has a couple of like bullet point things. He's like, you're going to do a couple of things for me if I make this happen. So, you know, we don't know what those things are, I think. I don't think they're laid out right now, but Larry's gonna have to do a couple of things for the higher ups to make sure that they save face and don't look like some idiots. Cause Richard's like, look, he was gone for two weeks. I put reruns of Cheers on and they're doing just fine. So it's either Cheers or fuck this guy. So. what I found funny was when Richard asked him, uh, so he's clean now. And Arthur says, as clean as Louie Anderson's dinner plate. <laughs> Damn. Louie. Why you gotta fucking fuck with me like that? I don't get that, but he's right. And, uh, you know, Larry never had a drug problem. Uh, no. But now everybody thinks he does. And now Larry's pissed off about that part of it. Because we cut to, like, them actually doing the show. They're getting ready for the show, right, Steve? Yeah, and uh, he's before he does his monologue, uh, Arthur, he has those things on deck, man. He, he throws them one of those pink, uh, a Soma, uh, something. I don't we I don't think they say what it is because of, you know, FCC or whatever. But he takes that motherfucker, pops it, and it's just like getting back on a bike. Larry knocks that monologue out the park. But he is like, I'm not, because at first when he's out there, because I think what happens is this. Arthur's like, look, this is what you have to do. You have to publicly apologize to the network and Richard on air, say you were a drug addict, and then everything will be cool. So he has to do that before the monologue. And before he even goes out, he's like, I'm not doing this. I'm going back to Montana, but he can't leave. The curtain opens and then the switch flips and he goes right into it. He gives it all. The pill helps him do the apology. Then he starts making some jokes. And people love him even more now that they think he was a drug addict, Steve. And he even gets off stage. He's like, this is fucking crazy. This is fucking nuts. And Hank, being the guy he always is, he's like, you know what, Larry? Maybe you ought to tell people you were molested, too, because then everyone's going to love you. (laughs) Jeffrey Tambor. Get I'm the sure heat he knows a lot me. about that. Get the heat yeah. off me, dude. Please. Please. I'm sorry. Man. He like for what it's worth, he's a great performer. <laughs> but like knowing what we know now, man, like it, it seems so like evident. Yeah, I mean, I the guy don't look he looks like somebody who would like to take advantage of a couple situations, you know. He doesn't look like a guy you'd want to trust. Yeah. Morality, yes, morality. But Larry's doing great, Steve. Everybody, and I even like Hank before the show. He has to like get into his character too. So he's like trying to keep saying his line over and over again, fucking it up. He's like, I'll get it. I'll get it right before they go on. And it's fucking, I mean, in this show, every time Jeffrey Tambor, I've seen him like in uh, Arrested Development, he always is funny. Like he definitely adds something to it, but it does suck that. You know, there's the whole whatever, creepy, whatever, molestation, sexual assault. I don't know what happened. I think it was harassment. I don't want to put too harsh of it without okay. doing my, my full Something untoward. Jeffrey got a little crazy. So sorry, Jeff, but you're great in this. Allegedly. Yeah, uh, allegedly. Somebody who probably 
somebody who probably didn't watch this episode of Larry Sanders Show 1994 is probably Akeem Olajuwon because in the 48th NBA championship, the Houston Rockets beat the New York Knicks four games to three. Hakeem the Dream, dude. Clyde the Glide and Hakeem the Dream on the same team? No, no, that was the second year when Clyde joined. He oh, wasn't on okay. this team. This, okay, my this is the first time. Um, oh. And Akeem, he's my favorite center of all time, man. Uh, Joker, he he's running for that spot. Joker is the truth, man. But uh, Akeem, uh, he over seven foot, but he played like a guard. He he ran the court like a gazelle. Could jump out the building. The man could shoot. He had like like smooth post moves, man. It, it's Hakeem, watching Hakeem highlights is like the equivalent of listening to an Eric B and Rakim album from the early '90s, man. Like you feel like, hmm, I, I think I, I need to get a, a class, a wine glass of Merlot watching this Houston Rockets game. I mean, hmm. I felt like he had like he was bodied up in a way where he had the fundamentals of a Tim Duncan. But he could take over a game even more so than a Tim Duncan. Like he had all every, he really was kind of the perfect center. My favorite center, Shaq of all time. It just is what it is. He's on my shirt. He's my favorite yeah. center. But I remember watching Hakeem Olajuwon. There was those couple of years. I mean, obviously I was wrong about like the team exact, but like when him and Clyde Drexler were on the same team, like there was no, you couldn't stop him. He was like really the main reason the Houston Rockets took over like that. And he was, I mean, I think people by and large think he's one of the greatest of all time, but yeah, man, flowers to that dude because he was a beast. Jokic, I'm I'm reserved on that because I do like his attitude. I like a Russian yeah. who's just like doesn't give a fuck about America and is just like, I have to get home. I, I won championship. I need to go home. Yeah. I like that. You saw that? He's... Yeah, I saw that. But uh, when you watch him play, he looks like he can't control his body. He's just like able to wing a ball you know it doesn't look controlled Hakeem it just like was bodied it's, up in a way where he, it was smooth it was just even the hook shots like he just had crazy what I remember about him was like it seemed like his arms were twice the size of other people's arms almost like he was just like muscular but wiry and he could just I mean take over dude he was a bad motherfucker and graceful like his movements were like poetry and emotion, man. Uh, but in 1996, Duckman is airing the episode The Longest Weekend. In satire of nationalism, the Dutch Elm Street Association gets special flavor for its block, spurring Duckman's North Flem Street to form its own group, with Duckman as president. Despite Cornfed's peacekeeping efforts, an actual war breaks out between the two neighborhoods. Yeah, Duckman, I don't know how many people watch this show regularly. I watched it because I when it was when I was up late on a Saturday, I believe. Maybe in it syndication. Yeah. Um this would come on. You'd hear that and I would just stick on USA. I'd watch it. And it was an adult cartoon really I think before that was a thing. Like a yeah. huge thing. Um and I loved it, dude. They gave Jason Alexander a vehicle. He basically does uh, an insane like his Larry David impression, but as even more of a scumbag, you know, as a duck man, and he was doing this at the same time Seinfeld was on the air. Um, you know, it's another great duck show. Ducks were killing it in the '90s, man. From Darkwing mm -hmm. to Ducktales to shit Launchpad. Let's get dangerous, Steve. 
That was and, a good duck. That was a good fucking Darkwing Duck, Steve. Just shout out to Dark. Let's get dangerous. Shut Come on, Gosselin. <laughs> Let's get. That's all I can do. But shout out Darkwing. You're right, ducks. I mean, we talked about it with Clark, but for some reason, ducks, man, they everybody loves a duck. I don't get it. Duck, duck if you duck. And uh, in this episode, <laughs> Duck Man's happy. And uh, maybe it has to do with getting fried last night, passed out with his head on his crotch, watching a fire on TV. I think it was the TV. It wasn't the TV. Mm-mm. And uh, he's happy then. But then he has to go to work. And lo and behold, his fucking car is gone, Steve. The shit's gone. And I, I hate this. It sucks. But he looks at the sign. Fucking goddamn it. They changed the fucking sign, Steve. Goddamn city council. And Duckman, you know, he's a private dick. He's a family man. But he's not familiar with street laws outside of his shitty ass house, Steve. So now he's down a car and he has to take public transpo. And we've all been there. It's a nightmare. And, you know, now he's starting off the week really hot. He's not feeling it, Steve. Gears are grinded. Uh, and, and that is his only priority. Only thing he's caring about is fixing these rules and laws, and regulations. And because when he makes it back to the office, they actually have a, a case. Uh, a lady is missing her ring and she'll offer $50,000 to whoever finds her ring. And it's actually next to her FUBA. And Cornfed, Cornfed, his associate, is actually about to point that out. But Dougman's like, man, we ain't got time for this shit, man. I got trying to get my car well, duck man points it out too because he's like what is it some fucking suburbanite wife who has her a necklace that she's lost and it's in her pocket or on her belt and she just can't, is too dumb to see it fuck this fuck these people and he's staring that right in the face this woman's about to yeah. give him 50k but he doesn't see it steve he's like get the fuck out of here corn fed get this fat bitch out of here one and, track uh, mine Cornfed, I love. I love the character of Cornfed. This is the character that just always brings like reality to it. It's his second in command, and it's really like the guy running his life. He's the one that's got. It's his Al Borland, basically. I was just about to say that. Ah. The same team, but uh, you know, he suggests to Duckman. He's like, look, this all these rules that you're mad about. This is a city council thing. So maybe you should go to a city council meeting. And Duckman's like, me go to a city council meeting. I got too much stuff to do. I got too much time on my hands. And Cornfed's like, look, okay, Buns and Basketball got canceled or whatever it is. It's some like titty. Bikini Bay battle. Yeah. And he's like, silicone is just, <laughs> what does he say, Steve? Bikini, Bikini Bay battle got canceled. But then Duckman's like, silicone is killing the industry or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Cornfed, I, I think his character is modeled after uh, the Dragnet guy, because um, Dragnet, he would have an associate, and he kind of has that same cadence. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah, and he's like, he's the one that gets all the business done, but now Duckman's going to the city council meeting, and I love this because this is probably, what at least what we see on the internet, what a city council meeting is. It's a bunch of lunatics who are like, the goddamn my child molesters are taking over city council or killing this town. And for some reason, I can't park outside my house for two hours on Fridays. So like they have like some crazy conspiracy, but it's about like the them watering their lawn or something, you know, it's something crazy. And I love first that. world problems. <laughs> they stop putting Reese's pieces in the vending machines at the laundromat. <laughs> 
And I Duckman comes out at first before that he watches. He's like, look at all these idiots like complaining about this stupid shit. I can't believe this. So aren't they embarrassed? And then he gets called up and he's like, God damn it. And he goes on his tirade, gets his point out about the signage needing to be changed. And then we like reverse the shot to see the city council. And it's probably what it really is. There's a bunch of like scared old ladies like, please stop yelling at us. So he feels like he got justice, Steve. He's like, I'm, they're going to do it, right? And he he actually like tracks the representative down. The mayor. Like, I want the, the oh the mayor. Yeah, I want the street cleaning hours change, or I'll find out where you live and hunt you down like a dog. And she's kidding. like, that's a marvelous idea. I'm going to give it top priority. Yeah, and he loves that. He's like, oh, top priority, great. So I'm at the top of the list. Turns around, starts walking away. But then in the background, you see the mayor like with somebody else, and she's like, oh, what a great idea. I'm going to give that top priority. So this bitch is just, she's saying what needs to be said, Steve. We all know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, you know, clearly we know nothing's going to happen. But Duckman now He's rear windowing this situation. He's set up shop at his window. He's watching the sign. And I don't know if they say how much time has gone by, but he's starting to smell like shit. And there's a, at least a week's worth of trash and food and stuff. So he's waiting and he's like, look, they're going to do this. And his son, Ajax, comes out, who I love the voice of this. He's like, the big, what is it? That's Dweezil Zappa, Frank's kid. But he's very, he has, I can't even do it. He's like the ultimate pothead. Like, hey, dude. He sounds the like. stoner son. Yeah. And he's asking, like, or he basically points out, like, I know they said they were going to do this, but it didn't mean, like, immediately. So maybe you need to take a shower and just chill out. Uh, Is it Duck cool Man if we built some brick casing around you uh, to, like, prevent the smell from getting further out into the room? Do what yeah, you got to do. Yeah. So as, you know, Ajax is about to board this dude into the wall, Shakespeare style, but uh, Duckman finally sees City like changing the sign and he gets excited, but then he goes out and sees that the sign has been changed from whatever it was to now it says no standing. And as soon as he reads it, he's like, man, what the fuck? Clamp on his foot. He gets towed, Steve. And he's arrested. <laughs> and he's in jail. And he's joined by everybody on his in his neighborhood. This whole block has now been towed to jail for breaking this law. And, you know, they're commit they're sharing stories, but basically in jail, they realize that they something's gotta be done. We gotta have like our own like block committee to sort of police this because nobody else is watching out for us. The mayor, she's trying to get us arrested. And I don't know if it's this is where exactly where they come to the idea that this other nicer side of the street is the one that's doing that. Hornfit gives them the intel. And he says that uh, the new street cleaning hours are due to the Dutch Elm Street lobbying. So we find out that Dutch Elm Street, they're, they're kind of the rival neighborhood. And they've set up shop and they're, they're kind of taking over things. And we're introduced to the character Art DeSalvo, voiced by Gilbert Godfrey. And we've talked about that man a lot on this show, and we will again. But around this time, he is crushing it with the voice acting. He had already done Aladdin. He'd made cameos on Dr. Katz. And he just has one of those voices you just want to see associated with a cartoon character. 
I feel like that's the only way because I feel like you talking to Gilbert Godfrey in person, it might be scary. As a cartoon, it's like, oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> it worked. He found his. Name. I'll have a pastrami on raw. Oh fuck, yeah. dude, Jesus! You you do a way better Gilbert. That's on you now. That you're the Gilbert guy. <laughs> well, he he gives them like this. Uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the Microsoft shit? Windows ninety five. The the presentation shit. He oh, gives them a presentation. He gives them a PowerPoint presentation. God. <laughs> there it is, Steve. That's Thank what you, Weed. Steve, I got you. And he's like, Americans use crazy people. And he follows the blueprint of America. There's an army militia. You just need a group of unemployed white guys and unregistered guns. There's skinheads is a militia with a funky team beat. No team leaders, but you need a fifth grade education. In Congress, you live in luxury, make laws that only benefit wealthiest contributors, and steal everything until you're retired. And uh, I think they had to pay him for that presentation. Uh, and they eventually nominate Duckman as the leader. Because, I mean, it, he's the namesake of the show. Why not? Well, Bernice, his ex-wife, I believe, uh, she basically is like, we need somebody with no backbone that will do whatever we tell them to do. So who's the one that we yeah. should choose for that? And Duckman's right there. So uh, she makes him go talk to the other Block City Council team. So he yeah, goes I over. Yeah, go his ahead. name's Tad. I think his name is Tad or Thad. But, you know, I feel like he's like he represents the Perrysburg community. I get oh, yeah. Fort Meg's vibes from that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's he the, everything's shiny like Duckman. It's literally like yeah. the side street adjacent to them. So he he turns left off of Flem Street or whatever the fuck it's called, and yeah. uh, it's everything shiny. It looks like Pleasantville. It's beautiful. Everything, all the lawns are manicured. Their lawns are alive. There's no stink lines over their houses. The sun's shining. So he gets to this house, and this guy comes out immediately. I think his name is Thad, but his last name's Venom, I believe, which I love that. And uh, he's been spying on him. He's like, I never, we didn't know you were coming. And obviously he did. And yeah. Duckman's like, so I wanted to talk to your block committee. He's like, block committee? We don't have a block committee, but there's a meeting going on. So he shuts the door immediately. Yeah, that was nothing. you never seen it. That's my kid's it. room. There's nobody in there. Anyway, <laughs> let's go over here. And he's just like talking him in circles, gets him out. And like literally in like five seconds, he's like, so thanks, you know, bye. And uh, as Duckman's going home and like sort of like trying to figure out how he got fucked over, another sign change has happened. And now it's like his streets, a throughway street for trucks, F1 racers, the whole shebang. Everybody cattle rides. Yeah, exactly. Cattle rustlings happening. Um, so now it's basically all out war, Steve. The lines have been drawn and the lines are, I mean, it's close. I don't know. Like McMahon and Bischoff. Yeah, exactly. The shit's, it's going to get hectic. So. They prepare for war now. Uh, they start TPing uh, the trees. They're throwing olive oil on front yards. They're throwing baby strollers down the stairs. It is full frontal. My lawn's dead. My lawn's dead. Fuck your grass. Fuck your babies. And Duckman leads his platoon to a house where this hot French woman uh, helps them hide out. Uh, unbeknownst to them, it's really to lead them into a trap. Yeah. And then Thad pops up again. Thad Venom. And 
corn fed, he's outside with the megaphone, mega horn. And he's like, he wants peace talks. So they have a conversation, a, a, a mano, a mano. Uh, but first, Cornfed's like, could you please stop torturing Duckman first? And he's got him strapped up to this device, and he's just getting zapped. Like, ah. Well, and the button hasn't been working, but when he Cornfed says that, he's like, oh, damn it. This thing just started working, and he has to, like, shut it off. Uh, Duckman's, but Duckman enjoys it. He's into some freak shit, because as soon as the thing turns off, he's like, again, please? This thing's hitting the spot. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? It's kind of like Bender in that one episode where he was yeah, like hell just yeah. off on a like. <laughs> he's jerking on, Steve. And uh, he suggests that Dutch Elm annexes North Flamav. They were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We we want to be a standalone. We, we're not trying to join y'all and, and be cohorts. We just want y'all to leave our laws and just our lives the fuck alone. Yeah, but three of the people on Flem Street are like, I don't know. This sounds like a pretty good idea. Like, maybe we should do this because that sounds pretty cool. You know, be under the benevolent dictatorship of Tad Venom. And uh, Duckman's like, mm, thinks about it. And then somebody comes in and is like, hey, somebody's pulling money trucks into these three people's houses. And we realize Venom's got to him, Steve. We got some fucking turncoats on our fucking team. They everything goes tits up again and now shit's go popping off to the ultimate extent everybody it's all out war at this point flem street it's nobody there are no sides north side south side it don't matter it's a melee and eventually they just wipe each other out Duckman's the only one left steve he's left in a hulking mass that was his house it was already kind of fucked up anyway so i really don't feel like nah. you know it is what it is but I mean, this is almost like a Twilight Zone episode because it ends and he's just like, I made it. I made it. And it's only one. Yeah, he won a fucking just messed up neighborhood. And like I said, very uh, Twilight Zone because this is it. Like, that's it. That's the episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Duck Man, he got to hold it down on that North, just like Project Pat. North, North. Duck Man. Shout out to Duck Man. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, Shout out. We're going to watch this again because this show gets weird as fuck. This was kind of a sexually tame episode, but there's always like hookers and like weird sexual shit. Most of these because Duckman's like a horn dog. So I do oh, remember yeah. that. So we're definitely going to have to cover this again because I love that. It's from the same creators of Thang Man. What would you expect? In uh, 1996, Hardcore Heaven, the super card is airing uh, through ECW and uh, at first, I thought, man, it would be kind of cool to cover this. Uh, it actually wasn't a bad show. But, you know, wrestling, will you'll get your turn this summer sometime. We haven't really uh, covered wrestling um, yet th this season. But uh, I, I watched it the other day, man, and it it's brutal, as you would expect. Um, you know, it starts off, uh, Joe Gertner at this time, he's just a uh, ring announcer before he becomes the Dudley boys manager, he's a ring announcer at this time. And he kicks it off saying, let's get ready to, and then Sandman comes from behind and just cracks him over the head with the <laughs> pain. And that's how we started. He beats, he cracks the fuck out of him on the back of the head. And <sighs> you know, that, that represents the, the spirit of ECW. So what, so Chris Jericho was up in this bitch though. Chris Jericho had a really good match. It was actually the match of the card. Uh, 
it was against Pitbull number two, uh, who was accompanied with Francine. And this was for the television title, I believe. And Jericho actually won. Um, they they put on a great match, man. And Pitbull number two, RIP. Uh, he was a great performer, man. Uh, they put off a good show. Raven had a bloody match against Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And Raven is just juiced. Like his whole face oh. is covered by the end of that match, man. Uh, Tommy Dreamer versus Brian Lee. Uh, this is the match that you might have seen a clip of uh, in the intro where uh, Tommy Dreamer gets choke slammed from a balcony onto some chairs. Yeah, um, it's, hell yeah, dude. Yeah. That's that's like the NBA logo. It's like a quintessential ECW moment, you know? Exactly, man. Uh, and the, the main event was Rob Van Dam versus Sabu, which was 20 minutes. Um, Sabu eventually won, and the way he won was ridiculous. Uh, he won by an Atomic Arabian face buster, which... that. It, he got on the top rope with the chair behind his back and he flipped and basically hit Rob Van Dam in the face. And he pulled that shit off remarkably. <laughs> that sounds so dumb. I'll try to get that so we can see. I'm sure there's that exists someplace on the internet. Damn, but it's a, a nice a Jericho on ECW. That's this has to be this is like that was short lived, huh? Short lived. Um I always say some of the biggest stars had a stay in ECW uh, because this is right before he joined WCW uh, Stone Cold around this time. He had a short stint, a very short stint in ECW. Uh, you know, of course, Raven, he was the top star for years before he joined WCW. And Paul Heyman actually spoke out on this saying that, like, that might have been the death knell of Raven's character because they were building him up to be the top guy in ECW. And then he, I don't think he got past mid card status when he joined Eric Bischoff's company, man. And he never like, uh, there was no evolution to it. He just was that like, they just left him as a guy who wore a leather jacket. It was kind of like a grunge dude. And yeah. he had his little Ravens flock for a little bit, but that was it. Like they tried to just sort of continue that. And it, you know, I was into it just cause you know, he had Scotty. What was that guy's name? The guy that did like Scotty Riggs. Riggs. Like he had a couple of like Perry Saturn was with him. He had Perry guys Saturn. around him that we liked. But uh, yeah, yeah, man, he just for whatever reason. But I love seeing Jericho just in general. Chris Jericho is top five, one of my favorite wrestlers. And I think he's a guy who needs to give credit or get credit just in general for wrestling in general, because he's been at like every organization like and he's building up another organization to like sort of in a way try to go up against wwe again and i mean it looks like he's having a good time and he always reinvents himself man he always finds ways to stay relevant despite getting older with time man uh so shout out to him shout out to paul Heyman and like that whole era that like if you didn't witness it when it happened man you missed out on some good entertainment I I did, man. I've totally, I wasn't able to see ECW as much and I'm, it's cool that we have this show and I'm friends with you. So you can like point out the best ones, but it is crazy when as a wrestling fan, you didn't see ECW that much. And to see how many of like the people that I love had a stint, a touch, the touched ECW, they, they were there in some way, shape or form. So Paul Heyman was a fucking legend, dude. We, no one's yes. gonna argue that, but it's crazy how 
I think important ECW is like in wrestling in general. It just For created sure. this whole new vibe. Oh, I'm sorry. One last thing too, man. Uh, you brought up a good point, man. Uh, the crowd, they not just influential in wrestling, but influential to pop culture, to the public world outside of wrestling, man. Because in this card, there were a couple moments where they like said some things in that you didn't hear at sporting events in the 90s or any kind of venue uh they told taz you ain't shit you ain't shit yeah, and, yeah. and then they brought out this guy called sal palomo who was overweight and they were just calling him you fat fuck you fat fuck so like you know this philadelphia crowd as we know they can get ruthless they can become brutal but man they in their own way, were pioneers, this ECW crowd, and that this super card, because this wasn't a pay-per-view, it was a super card that was taped at the ECW arena in Philadelphia, like their mainstay, man. I love ECW had ECW arena, just some trash venue in Philly that they did, that was still, like, really cool inside, but it's just a Philly venue, dude. I, I love it's, that. Yeah. It's it's like going to Frankie's. I mean, it's uh, like it, does Philly celebrate ECW? I wonder if it's like a thing. Like they like that brought some notoriety to the town. Like it is what it is, but I just feel like Philly should celebrate that. It's it's such a Philly vibe thing. It's dirty. It's fucking trashy. It's you know violent. <laughs> maybe we should ask Clark the shirt. Yeah, we should. Hey, Clark, yeah, Clark, come back. In uh, 1998, the Howie Mandel Show debuts in syndication. And uh, another guy that was crushing it in the 90s, from Bobby's World to Little Monsters. Uh, Howie Mandel Show, name. maybe a little less. I don't remember this, but those are the first two bangers. Yeah. Like I mean, what is Mandel. Howie Mandel going to do like on a regular basis, Steve? Was this a talk show? It was a talk show, you know, it's one of his vehicles, you know, they were giving him out like a, a deck of cards, like, hey, Rosie O'Donnell here, uh, the one of the daughters from the Cosby show here. You're funny. You can talk here. Yeah, Rosie. I mean, at least Rosie had the koosh balls. She used to just fucking shoot those shits out all the time. I used to love that. And her thing for Tom Cruise. It's like, Tom Cruise doesn't like girls and you don't like guys. Let's stop the bullshit. <laughs> Clutch the pearls. What a sneaky thing to do. <laughs> uh, but in, 19, in 1999, Black Alicious releases A to G. It, it was an EP, uh, only 24 minutes, 46 seconds. Uh, but I, I remember Black Alicious because of the, the song, uh, was it called? Alphabet Aerobics. A, a lot of tongue twisting. And if you played the song, you you would recognize it. This is around the time when Rozelle was becoming known, the the human beatbox. I feel like Black Alicious was kind of in that same vein, the, the okay. lyricist lounge show that was on MTV and stuff. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter, uh, one time recited alphabet aerobics on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Kimmel, or Jimmy Fallon, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, man. Uh, this actually got good ratings and good reviews, this EP. A to G, man. Hell yeah, dude. Black Alicious. And Harry Potter was doing some fucking uh, karaoke. That's pretty dope. But I don't remember this. But you're saying that they're close to Rozelle, so I really don't remember it. I don't, I'm not saying they're like connected, but like it was that late 90s boom bap. Like the, the rap that wasn't gangster or 
or poppy like Diddy. You you okay. weren't Dre, you weren't Sean Combs. You you were you were the black thought most deaf uh common. You were like Black Alicious was like in that vein okay. is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um but yeah man, 1999 also Missy Elliott releases The Real World. And uh I said this before, she's my female goat. And this is the album that has "She's a Bitch." Better say my name. She's a bitch. And then Hind Boys, baby, you got what I want. Baby, y'all be trying to drag her wilds and them binges and them Missy, dude. What's your name? I don't know if that's how it's meant to be said, but yeah, Missy killing it. And I don't know, man. I always thought she was sexy. You know, maybe not the garbage bag look, but she maybe it's the confidence. I, I love it. I, I I think she's sexy now, man. She lost a ton of weight. and uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, now for sure. But she was always just ahead of the game. And uh, I do think, like, it was hard for us, like, dudes in the 90s. Like, I feel like when – this sounds so old school, but, like, a female rapper when I was a little kid, it was just like, eh. You know, and you couldn't really deny this. It was that like banging, especially when I forget what the album was, but there was one that was just like straight insane Timber like Timberland beats. All of them were, I think, but yeah. there was just one that really got my attention. That and since then, she is the top female MC as far as I'm concerned. Baby, you got what I want. And man, you know, last but not least, 1999, June 22nd, Lim Biscuit releases oh. Significant Other because just one of them days where you don't want to wake up. Everything is fuck. Everybody sucks. This is the one, Matt. This is the effing one. We really don't know why, but we got to justify. Rippers, hobos, and all. all. <laughs> and Good. we did. Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I this, I was all in. By once this came out, I was already in on three dollar bill, y'all. But uh, same. This, I some if somebody like a higher being created this, like the algorithm that they got people our age, like addicted to this kind of music. Like this is the perfection of it. Whatever that, what however you describe this, it, this is the most uh, samurai sharp version of it. I love this album so much. I haven't listened to it in a while, but. And this is what you put in a time capsule for 1999, where it's like, man, there were different kind of subgenres that broke out in this decade. And I feel like this and maybe follow the leader are the best representations of this. Yeah. Right here, man. And I feel uh, like they the go hand in hand. And even Jonathan Davis and Fred Durst were like buddies, too. So, yep. you know, there's that connection. But this one, you and I listen to it. We all listen to it. I used to probably almost get pulled over by cops for blaring this so loudly out of my car that you could hear nothing else. Bro. But I, I mean, I didn't have a red Yankees hat like most people, but I wanted one. Just you know? because that's the power to. of Durst. Like I didn't care a, give a fuck about the Yankees, A-Rod, Jeter, Joe Torre, none of that shit, but Fred Durst rocks it. And we were about to be 16 when this album came out. And my mindset was like, man, I cannot wait to drive. I'm going to drive by my school and blaring some Limp Biscuit, and girls will be looking at me. And I me. am <laughs> going to be Black Fred Durst. So you could take that and, cookie and stick it up, y'all. 
Stick yeah, it yeah. up, yo. Stick it up, yo. Stick it up, yo. Do, 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 do. Um, this is grown on me, man. Rearranged. Think about it. Is N Together it's now the- on this? The one with Method Man? Is that on this shit? It is. Produced by DJ Premier. Yeah, dude. What's that? I didn't hear and you. And see, that's, I think, how they got us. Like, because people like us liked rap, but then you get like a little Method Man. You get that little hit of hip hop in there. He's already like himself doing it but then method man's co-signing and shit oh you know we had that's, to that's the green light it's cool to like limp biscuit while being black method, method man, man is on said a so okay dj premier got behind it okay i can gladly and, and freely do it all for the nookie and break stuff you remember how we mm. always used to have like ben stiller didn't ben stiller do like a quick like or was that on the next one Remember when he's like, it's limp, it's limp to the biscuit. It's Liz to the biscuit or like whatever. It was Ben Stiller on this. They, they did just... have skits, I believe. I can't remember if it was this one or Chocolate Starfish. Mm. Well, regardless, Fred Durst, dude, sorry for the shade I threw at you at that GameStop in LA that one time because you're still a living legend. That wasn't right, man. It wasn't. It was, that's, you see, that's just the... Uh, the ignorance of youth, Steve. I didn't realize what I was saying to a man, but now I realize that I was being an asshole. And Fred, just like an olive branch, bud. Like I've paid money to see you live since then. You're a beast, and uh, you know, give me a red Yankees hat. I'm gonna rock that shit. I'll rock it to this day. You're a legend. And rearrange. But uh, any callbacks, honorable mentions, or splodoinkles? Well, splodoinkle and splodinkle to uh, uh, one, Wes Borland, just because we just talked about Fred Durst so much. But Wes Borland always getting weird with it. Never stopped. Never gave a fuck. Freaked me out at points because of the black eye shit going on. But, oh, I, I love you know, it. I love that. Um, and also, just a quick double shout out to Michael Keaton because um, I love Michael Keaton as an actor. Him and Kurt Russell, like top 90s, 80s, whatever you want to call like that actor, whatever that is, leading man, if you will, those are my guys. And Michael Keaton, I love that he's getting a resurgence. People recognize the brilliance and whether or not the movie's that good love seeing michael keaton as 90s batman just one last time because it made me it made me feel young again steve and i love that and uh haters get off of ben affleck's dick this this is a no uh ben affleck slander zone here that's what we don't do i'm a serious i don't get it and you know we talked about it before but yeah let's just give a quick shout out to ben affleck and just let him know fuck the haters dude because you're a bad motherfucker okay he fucks with you dog hell yeah but what about you steve any you know pre pre soaks splodinkles whatever what have you (laughs) um i do want to call out our last show uh when i I talked about jeff reardon who who broke raleigh fingers save record i said he played for the twins and and that was a falsitude uh he actually played for the boston red sox at the time yeah i just like to get my facts straight well he did play for the twins at one point in his career he did not mistaken because i got the i got the image 
And he okay. was on the Swing yeah. Steve. So he, he at one point he did, man. And uh 1998 WCW Nitro uh Goldberg, he goes 102 and 0, defeating Rick Fuller. And uh Bret Hart and Benoit, they they start this angle, I guess, man. And um I don't know. I I I really feel like they fumbled the ball when they got Bret Hart. They just didn't know what to do with him. Um, he, it's sad to see as a Bret Hart fan, he became a shell of himself, um, of, of what he could have been. And uh, the NWO red and black, I want to call attention to this. I feel like when Goldberg is going 170 and O and they, they bring out the red and black, I hear a shark approaching WCW and Eric Bischoff jumping over it because Red and Black was basically middle-aged guys trying to like uh, inter perform as gangsters. And you got Luger with this tank top, you got Super Shredder Nash, and you got Conan, who used to look like Saved by the Bell 2.0, who's <laughs> being this, this cholo, and Sting. I feel like this is definitely Sting jumping the shark because this is one of the reasons why I prefer Surfer Sting over Crow Sting. Sir, Crow Sting was short-lived when he was cool. Uh, his cool Crow days were like, I like him when he wasn't speaking. He just crept up on motherfuckers. He would come down like HBK, uh, pull a, a death drop on somebody and be back out into the rafters. Hell Paul yeah. White, you ain't that tall. Come and get me, bitch. I like that. And he didn't say anything. He just pop up on motherfuckers. But when he was in the red and black, now he's speaking. He's like, yeah, what's going on, guys? Wolfpack's in the house. We're rowdy, rowdy. And it's like, bro, like you guys are like dads and shit. Like, this, <laughs> yeah, like I like, like NW Hogs, the movie gangsters, or it's like, come on, y'all 50 years old. Shut up. Yeah, man. Like I like the NWO when they first started, when it was like organic, and then it spread off into this. Like, y'all are doing too much. Stop, Lex Luger. Yeah, we're in the house, right, guys? Yeah, don't the brand too. Cause like you said, NWO, everybody was all in, but then it was like somebody behind the scenes was like, we gotta. Like, this is a never-ending idea factory. Let's just duplicate it. Make it red. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. I, I'm with you, dude. Because then it was just like, oh, now Wolfpack's going to take NWO guys. There was no new story. It was just guys changing the color of their fucking shirts. I was putting more attention on Vince's crew at this time, man. And, and speaking of Vince's crew on Raw that night, uh, Taker, he's already been disassociated with Paul Bear. Paul Bear has been talking big shit. He's got Kane with him. He's got Mankind with him. And Taker pulls up on Paul Bear at his house and beats his ass. I remember this because Paul Bear is sitting on his couch just talking to shit. Can't get to me. And then Undertaker, he just shows up in his living room. He's like, you think I forget where you live? <laughs> <laughs> I was over just, here last week for dinner, bitch. Oh. And just seeing Undertaker beat his flat, fluffy ass is hilarious, man. Shout oh, out to Paul man. Bear. Um, and th this this is also the episode where Edge makes his debut, and that's disastrous because his first match is against Jose Estrada, who was from uh, Savio Vega's crew, the Los Barriquas. And he does this killer move where Jose Estrada is outside on the apron. Edge jumps out and basically like lands horribly onto his neck. He like he does he makes Jose Estrada do one of these things, and oh. the 
like he's just down and like the match is just done and that was his first match <laughs> like like Ooh. as we know like edge he he recovered from that ordeal and he's kind of became a legend created a name for himself has had five-star matches man but uh yeah man uh oh x-pac beats the fuck out of owen with a chair this is the beginning of the dx nation of domination rivalry uh nation they got the this is the the crew with d rock mark henry and they got owen versus you know triple h x-pac the new age outlaws Hell yeah. um Th this was a great raw man mankind he drops this stellar promo from inside hell in the cell like as he's talking the the cell is is uh lowering and they're setting up for this king of the ring which had the match hell. and yeah mankind kills it man at the end stone cold comes out rocking his austin 316 baseball jersey and he's got his match with kane in the first blood and i don't know if you remember this one but at the end of this episode austin has blood like carry style just drop on him and oh, i like, do remember that yeah hell yeah damn yeah, man that was all in the same episode wow yeah Dang, that's like a quintessential WW Raw, I guess. That's crazy. Vince was like, nah, man, I'm taking my title back. I'm fuck not to be fucked with. Shit. This shit, yeah. <laughs> the, the brand's fuck. weak. Take it over. Send, send Triple H on the tank. Get the tank. And please like, share, subscribe, and comment. Tell your little sister that we are rearranged. Think about it. Check, please check, check, out check it out. <laughs> please check out Crush Gasm on Wednesdays. And don't worry, the movie with the man in Wade as well as Clark the Shark. This is Steve G and Maggie with Happened in the 90s. Come and get it!